When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to The Reinvention Project with Jim Rome Podcast. Welcome to episode two of The Reinvention Project with Jim Rome. What's cracking? Now, if you are here for ep two, I hope that means that you liked what you heard in the first episode where I laid out my thinking and what it was for taking on this project and a bit of my backstory. Or maybe you were thinking that, yeah, that was all right, but surely it's going to get better when you start chopping it up with somebody else. And if that is your take, then you're right, because it's about to get really nice up in here. And let me just say this. When I started this journey of reinvention and I decided to host this podcast, there was one guy that I knew that I wanted to debut with. For a multitude of reasons, beginning with how much I respect him, how much I admire him. He's a world-class entrepreneur. He's an international speaker. He's a best-selling author. He's a host of a sensational podcast. He is a renowned life and business strategist. He's a social media phenomenon. I knew that as I began this process of personal reinvention and invited all of you to come along, this was somebody that I had to speak to immediately and that I had to hear from, and I'm speaking of Ed Milet. Now, before I jump into this, let me share the backstory really quickly of how I first met Ed. I knew of Ed, of course, and I had been an admirer of his. I respected what he had built personally and professionally, and his message and his positive energy really resonated with me, so much so that I actually tried to connect with him personally, not just to have him on my other podcast, the Jim Rohn Podcast, but I really wanted to meet the man. Initially, I was unsuccessful in doing so. I mean, this is a guy who's constantly on the go. He's building businesses. He's coaching high-profile individuals. Then I get an email from my man, Chad, who works with my clothier, David August. Chad says, Jim, do you know Ed Milet? I said, no, Chad, but I want to. I've been trying to. Chad says that Ed mentioned me to him, and would I mind if Chad shared my telephone number with Ed? I said, hell no, do that. So then Ed, for whatever reason, invites me on his hugely popular podcast, which he hosts from a miraculous home overlooking the bluffs of Laguna Beach. And it literally is one of the best hours I've spent in years. That's how much I got out of just hanging with, listening to, and exchanging ideas with Ed Milet. So we promised to stay in touch, go to dinner really soon, and continue the friendship And that was exactly one year ago right now. The pandemic hits, we still talk, and we text, but we have not seen each other even once since then. That was the one and only time that I've seen somebody who I now consider a very good friend. But once again, I've known that I had to reinvent myself personally and professionally. And as part of that, I did want to host this podcast. And I knew that when I started this project, this was the guy that I wanted to start with. So... Lock it in, 45 minutes of high-octane content and energy, and trust me, it's going to feel like five. And remember, hang around once the conversation is over, because I want to share my biggest takeaways from it, and I want to let you know exactly what I'm going to do with the info that my guy shares with us. My man, Ed Milet, is coming at you right now. 
First off, Ed, I want to say this. I want to say how much it means to me personally that you would take the time to take this on today. And I want to share how much I think of you personally and professionally. And I want to add, my man, that while this is a project that I've thought about for quite some time, you were, in fact, the one who got me over the hump to finally do this. It goes back to the conversation you and I had on your amazing podcast. And you told me afterwards, Ed, Jim, you actually have a pretty unique ability to communicate. And I said to you at that time, I would really like to do more in this space. And you said, absolutely, you should, brother. So I want to thank you for that, Ed. You are a big reason why I wanted to take this on. And I had to tell you that first. My brother, how are you and how is your beautiful family? I'm doing great, brother. And uh, thank you for that acknowledgement. I appreciate that. I meant every word of it. I'm so glad I've seen you flourishing doing it as well. And you've obviously been the goat at what you do for so long. And now to see you even step forward into this space, I know you're going to be dominant here too. So I'm doing great. Family's great. And uh, you know, I love you. So it's, it's tremendous to be here with you. I love you too. And I appreciate this so much, Ed. So there's so much that I want to discuss with you, but if you could, can you take a moment? I want to talk about the journey because it's been such an amazing journey for you personally. You grew up in Diamond Bar, California. What were you like growing up, Ed? What was your family life like too? Uh, growing up insecure, shy, small, um, great family, loving family, but you know, like a lot of families behind the door there in the house, a lot of dysfunction. Um, dad was an alcoholic, my whole upbringing, my dad, as you know, got sober and was sober for 35 years before he just recently passed away. But I think that sort of chaos in my life, dad in and out, you know, drama all the time sort of contributed to, you know, a lot of insecurity. The good news was that it made me become, you know, but pretty reliant on growing and getting better personal development. You know, uh, I knew I had to outwork everybody at whatever I did, because I'm not an overly big guy when I was an athlete. I'm certainly not, you know, my IQ is not exceptional. It's average. It's not, you know, I'm not completely stupid, but I'm not (laughs) an exceptional IQ guy. But I had a loving family, lower middle class is how I would describe it. But, um, but certainly one with a lot, some dysfunction in it that probably shaped a little bit of who I am now. It's really interesting. And Ed, I know your dad passed recently. And again, I want to reiterate how sorry I am for your loss. I know what he meant to you. I know how close you two were. More than anything else, Ed, back in the day, you want to be a pro baseball player. And in fact, we're well on your way. You were having a great college career at the University of Pacific. Ultimately, it did not happen. How come? Probably prematurely ended something that would have ended anyway. In all candor, you know, you've been around the top athletes in the world, and I've had a chance the last 20 years to coach a lot of them on their, you know, their mental games and stuff. And the more and more I'm around them, the truth is I probably didn't have the athletic giftedness maybe to take it all the way. But I got hit with a pitch, and it formed a tumor on my right calf. And ultimately that uh, had to take part of my calf with the tumor. The tumor grew back. They had to take more of my calf. And so over time, I just I had one tool. I was a one-tool player I could run. And uh, when I lost my wheels, you know, that sort of ended it. But like I said, it ended up, you know, for a lot of us in our life, our first dream is going to end. You know, whatever your first dream is, your first pursuit, your first relationship that was a dream, your first business. And it's really, you know, then what do you do? Who are you after your first dream ends, right? And, you know, I'm pretty proud that after that ended, I struggled for a little while, but I started to find my footing and found some stuff that my actual giftedness applied to. And it's been pretty good since then. Now, it's been amazing since then. But I was going to say, I mean, the first dream did die, Ed. So where were you mentally and emotionally at that point in your life? In the tank. So after college, I moved home with my mom and dad. Same teddy bear on the bed, same poster on the wall, you know, looking for work. My dad comes home from an AA meeting, just got sober, first meeting. Says, hey, 
you know, my dad, a little bit like your dad, kind of a tough dude. He says, Hey, I got you an effing job tomorrow. Show up. And like, I was like, I was choosy, you know, I'm like, well, what is it? He goes, I have no idea. And it doesn't matter. They're going to pay you something. Show up. And it was an orphanage uh, called McKinley home for boys in San Dimas. And that altered my life is one of those experiences, six bucks an hour. But I walk in the door, I walk into cottage eight and there's, you know, there's 10 boys there six to eight years old, all looking at me with those eyes that I know they just wanted someone to love them and believe them. All the boys there were either their parents were dead or incarcerated or had molested them. And I, my life changed. I went from, you know, an athlete that was pretty ego driven, not that I don't have an ego, but about me and my life changed. I was forced to be about someone else and contribute and love them and believe in them and coach them. And, and I found out in my life, that's what everybody wants. Turns out not only kids that are in an orphanage, but grown adults want someone to love them, care about them, believe in them, coach them, show them how to live better and just altered my life. I'm like, now this I'm good at this. I love doing. And that just changed the direction of my life. And so one thing about it too, Jim is like through some of the greatest, you know, life is happening for you and not to you. So we only know that in hindsight, turns out my dad's drinking all the stuff that came with that. If my dad wasn't an alcoholic, didn't go to an AA meeting, I don't walk into the orphanage. I don't become the entrepreneur that I am to this day. So it's crazy when you look back. The key to a happy life, I think, is figuring it out in the moment. Like, hey, how is this happening for me? This situation that, and all on the surface seems terrible. What elements of this could be happening for me? And you'll find that there is always something in there happening for you. It's not just being dictated at you. Let me tell you about one of my favorite companies ever. Count on this. This is the day that picking winning stocks gets super easy. I'm on Carnivore Trading. It's a radically different stock targeting website that is disrupting Wall Street big time. I absolutely love it. Carnivore Trading is a small elite squad of stock market strategists. These are the guys who influence the market influencers, the big guys. They are pulling back the curtain so folks like us, from newbies to portfolio managers, can see exactly what they're trading. This is why I signed up. I use it. I get the alerts. I check it throughout the day. I love it. For a low monthly fee, I get real-time text alerts of the explosive stocks that they're trading right now. It's like, dude, here's what we're hitting and here's why. And it's my choice. I can do whatever I want with that info. I can mirror their trades, and I do, through a discount broker, or I can pass. And I do that sometimes too. I do, but the fact is passing is nuts because their trades are murdering the S&P 500. Trading carnivores trades is like earning your PhD in the stock market. And you'll love this. Listen very carefully to what I'm about to say. They guarantee you'll earn five times your monthly subscription or double your money back. Five times your monthly fee just by mirroring their trades. I got you two free weeks to see for yourself. Visit scoreourtrades.com. Enter the code Jim. Scoreourtrades.com. Code name Jim. See website for guaranteed terms and conditions. Past performance, not a guarantee of future earnings. All right, so there, there are so many things in that, Ed, that I want to explore. But to that point, for instance, you start to find a why. You start to have a purpose. You start to have a mission. And this is great. We all need that. But it wasn't like your life just changed in that one second forever for the positive. There were still battles. There were still things you had to overcome. As a newlywed, for example, you were in a really challenging time as well. You couldn't even afford running water for your family at that point. What was that time like? 
Yeah. Anybody listening to this as an entrepreneur is like nodding their head going, all right, now I get it. Right. Like I can relate to that. Right. I, st I started my business. I'd left the orphanage. I actually did pretty well at first, you know, and then just everything hit the fan, lost accounts, spent money I shouldn't have spent. And I went from having a couple homes, frankly, to renting an apartment. And then the apartment ends up, we lose our power, which is bad. You lose electricity or, you know, your cell phone bill. You can't lose water, man. And we had our water turned off. We were just newly married. It was the most emasculating, shameful time of my life, frankly. And so I just say, hey, babe, there's a shower at the apartment complex by the pool. We got to get up in the morning and go down there and I'll hold the towel up. There wasn't even like a drape on there. I had to hold the towel up while my new bride showered and then she'd hold it up and I'd take a shower. It's freezing. Walk back up the stairs. And many of those mornings, man, I'm like, I'm such a liar. I'm telling the whole world I'm going to be somebody. I'm going to be successful. I'm going to make certain dreams come true. I'm telling her we're going to live on the ocean someday because, you know, we grew up together. And uh, it was a mental battle, man. One that I lost some days and one that I won others. But kind of, again, it happened for me because those times forced me like, I got to find a way to think right during these times because it's probably not going to get much better than this or much worse than this, rather. And I did. I found some mental strategies, some coaches, some mentors that sort of I worked my way out of that like really hellish type place. It was really bad. All right. So let's talk about that for a minute. Yeah, You go from no running water to making it on the 50 wealthiest under 50 list. You're living an extraordinary life. But I want to be very clear about this. A life that you yourself have created because you were not born into it. Nobody ever gave you anything ever. You had to scratch and claw and battle for everything you have in your life. Starting where you started, exactly how were you able to end up where you are right now? Wealthy beyond your wildest dreams and having a tremendous impact on the world around you. How? A lot like you did, to be candid with you. And I'm not just saying that because it's you. A lot like most people you know, you and I both know, that have become, you know, whatever the definition of success is. And I think it was this. I kind of started to figure out, here's what I think successful people do. I don't care if you're a successful school teacher, uh, you know, a construction worker, you know, a contractor, or a professional athlete. You find out what your two or three natural gifts are. Things that are you're good at, that you've always been pretty good at. And we discount them because... Normally we go, okay, giftedness is I can run a 4-4-40 or I can jump out of the gym, reverse dunk, right? So those gifts are really obvious and you see them on TV or you see someone get up and speak and you're like, wow, or sing. Those seem to be gifts. Every human was born with two or three or four of them. And one of the happiest days of your life is when you discover what they are. You give yourself some credit. It could be basic things that you take for granted, like your kindness, your humor, your problem solving skills, your relentlessness, how resilient you are, how tough you are, how caring you are, right? Um, your math skills, your beauty, whatever it might be. When you figure out, I got these two or three things, and then you figure a way to utilize those skills in the service of other people or in a way that can help other people. That's what happened for me. I started to figure out, I don't have a lot of gifts. One of them, I'm an intense dude. I'm a pretty good communicator. God gave me a pretty deep voice, right? I like to compete and I... I'm really intentional about helping people. Like I really like helping people. And you know, beyond that, I'm, I've proven to be a pretty tough dude. And I started to apply those things in careers where they worked. I think one of the saddest things is someone who's got gifts and they don't use them at all in their current career, right? Or like you, one of your great gifts, most people probably wouldn't know this, but one of Jim's truly great gifts is like, he really listens well. He really, and by the way, privately really cares about people. He's one of the most kind people you'll ever meet. And he's also an extraordinary communicator. Ah, he falls into a career. By the way, he also loves sports. He falls into a career where he's passionate about the topic. It requires him to listen very well. 
and you got to be able to communicate pretty well. Hence, you got Jim Rome, right? For me, I applied them in my skills. My sister's one of the greatest school teachers on the planet. She's never going to be rich, but she's making a huge difference in the world. She's legally blind. She's born with diabetes. My sister loves children. She loves to teach. She's kind. She's patient, right? She's incredible at what she does. I am no more successful than she is. But I have other family members who are just doing something for a living they have no business doing. They're not any good at it. They don't enjoy it. It's not their passion. And so for me, it was finding that. Mine happened to be in business and making business decisions and motivating and moving people. And I really doesn't feel like work. You work as hard as anybody I know, but neither one of us really, you just go back from, you know, whenever this comes out, you just go back from a long trip, man, like it's not even work for you. You're just going. So we're called grinders, right? We're both known as grinders, but I don't really feel like I'm grinding most of the time because a lot of what I do, I'm pretty decent at doing. When I was grinding is when I was a bus boy at the whole enchilada in Diamond Bar. I didn't belong there. That's not my skill set. Right. And so grinding is when you're doing something you don't enjoy doing or or nor are you very good at doing. This isn't a grind for me. And I know your work isn't a grind for you. No, I couldn't agree with you more. And I so appreciate what you had to say, Ed, about me. Thank you very much for that personally. You know, when you talk about finding those things that you're good at and you know you're good at those things and you lean into those things, I want to go back to what you said about, you know, I'm actually a pretty tough dude. Now, if I didn't know you the way I know you and you and I weren't such good friends, you're the kind of guy that I would look at and think to myself, man, I don't want to mess with that cat. Like, I know better than to go there because you take care of yourself. I mean, you're a monster in the gym. But when you talk about toughness being the one, the three or four things that you have that can set you apart, are we talking mental toughness, emotional toughness, or I'll break your face, brother, if you look at me the wrong way, toughness? Uh, d- definitely not I'll break your face toughness, although I do, I do know what you mean. Like, I definitely have that. I think some of the most interesting people are like, you know, very complex. You know, they appear to be one bay and then you meet them. It's like refreshing when they're different when right. you meet them, right? I think there's something, there's a word that I use a lot and it's, it's probably, I'm probably trying to sound like I'm smarter than I am, but I love the word equanimity and equanimity is a noun and it means mental toughness or composure or evenness of temper, especially in a difficult situation. And I've always worked hard at being this really weird combination of doing really hard, difficult things with equanimity. I think of even like a Brady in football. He's not that he doesn't get fired up, not that he doesn't get intense. But he has a way in doing very difficult things at a very high level with a, an amount of composure and evenness of temper most of the time, mental calmness that allows him to function at a very, very high level. And so that's what I mean by pretty tough. Like when heat's on, when things have got really tough, when maybe you might fold, I have found myself in that sort of position where I utilize equanimity or like what do you call maybe emotional maturity, right? I love people that are pretty emotionally mature. So I get real intense. I get really fired up. Uh, if you mess with my family, you're not going to have to worry about what you're going to have for breakfast tomorrow morning. I'm not saying that that's not there, just like you or other people that we know. But I have, a, I think, a pretty decent ability of some mental calmness under duress. And that served me really well in my life. When I'm doing very well, I don't seem to get too full of myself, although I've made that mistake several times. It makes me want to push harder because I'm not so ego-driven that I think I'm incredible and this is guaranteed forever. And yet when things have gone very bad and they have even this year and other times in different businesses I've had, I've been able to maintain a pretty even temper and composure. Mm. All right. So the fact is, Ed, you're a social media monster. You have an enormous following on Instagram and with your podcast and your YouTube channel. You've inspired so many people. But the interesting thing is this is not necessarily what you were looking to do. In fact, you've always been very private 
and somebody told you, not only is this your calling, but this is actually your responsibility, who was that, and then what did you think of his message? Uh, Tony Robbins, and uh, I wish he'd have said it that nice, <laughs> but uh, we we're just having a conversation. I've been an entrepreneur for a long time and kind of a, I don't know, you call it self-help or personal development addict, and I'm like, hey, man, I love this. I can go speak. I leave. I'm private. You can't walk in a damn room anywhere where you're not, you know, sort of not private, and I said, I love that I've been able to kind of accumulate some wealth, and and he goes, that's why you're an effing loser mm. because wow. you talk all the time about wanting to serve people but there's no congruency. It's not true. You're kind of a fake. This is what he said to me at, in my own home. And I'm like, wow, you do. Wow. What are you talking about? Right. What are you talking about? And I said, Max, my son was, there. I said, give me the phone. How do you do this Instagram thing or whatever? And I made a video just talking. Tony was right behind me, but nobody saw him. And uh, I made the video, put it out. I got like three likes and, you know, four views or whatever it was. And that was the beginning of me going, you know what, man, I think I want to get out there and really, you know, serve people and help them because it's very rare. That's why I encourage you to do it. Very rare in like business coaching or entrepreneurship or personal development that the people actually doing it have won already and are teaching you things they've done. Very common in this space that someone's teaching you to do things. They're making money teaching you to do things they've never done and can't prove work. And so I like when there's an authentic, there's a very small group of like really people that actually won that are now teaching you. And they actually do it at a discount because typically if somebody is really, really successful, any amount of money they'd make on Instagram or somewhere else is much less than they'd make building their own businesses. And that's why there's a lot of, I wouldn't call them frauds, just kind of fakes to some extent. And that's why when we talked, I'm like, bro, you should get in here. You, you've dominated what you've already done for years and, and you are a real guy who's really built something. And so that kind of, I think that might be a little bit of any separator I might have where I think people think, wow, this is probably real stuff. This dude's for real. I hope so anyway. Oh, there's no doubt. Absolutely. You know, our guy Goggins is so huge on that, right? He's like, I don't care about theory. I don't care about theory. Why would I listen to you when you've never done anything? You've got to be out there doing it. So I think the point that you make is so critical. You know, you, Ed, had this amazing post on your Instagram feed recently, and it states, quote, the key to sustaining greatness is to reinvent yourself in every era, end quote. You know, bam, that's the big one right there. One of the big reasons I was so eager to speak with you on the reinvention project with Jim Rome is, well, basically what you just said, point blank. And I could not agree with that and that post any more than I do. I accept this. I embrace this. Hell, I'm obsessed with figuring out how to reinvent myself. But, Ed, the truth is, I'm not exactly sure how to go about doing it. And I know I'm not the only one. Like, when you've done certain things, certain ways for such a long time, exactly how do you reinvent yourself for the next era? Because the notion drives not only this podcast, but really my entire life right now. Same here. And it's, it's listen, it's this belief that when I get in the room, I'll begin to figure it out. I'll innovate. I'll improvise, right? Like, this whole thing about preparation, you're a preparation freak, so am I. People take to an extreme. They take it to the extreme to the point where they think they have to know everything before they step into something. The truth is not to be uh, you know, corny with you, but like when, if Henry Ford started Ford Motor Company going, all right, let me think through every single thing. Like, how am I going to ship these cars since there's no way to ship them? Who's going to fix them? Where do I get all the tires from? Like, you know, where are all the parts? You can't think about those things. You have to take the first step, step into the space, figure it out, improvise and go. It's like the, in, in, in an NFL game, you have to come with the greatest game plan in the world, man. But the best you have to be able to make adjustments you have to call audibles you got to be able to go in at halftime and make some correction adjustments tyson has that great quote about everyone's got to plan until they get punched in the face right like let yourself get punched in the face and for me this reinvention thing is the heart of sort of what i'm addicted to when i was 
a few years ago at a birthday, my daughter, who will talk smack right to my face, says, Dad, what is going on with this midlife crisis you have? You know, and I'm like, what are you talking about? She goes, come on, Instagram, like the beard, like what the heck, all the selfies. I'm like, wait a minute. I've been in a midlife crisis all my life. I'm in a crisis to get to the next level. When Max was little, Jim, we went to a car wash. There's a guy there. He'd be there every week reading a newspaper. And he said the truest thing if you're a parent. He goes, hey, how old's your son? I said, he's six. And he goes, well, enjoy the six-year-old because when he turns seven, that six-year-old's gone forever. Mm. And when he turns eight, the seven-year-old's gone forever. We all have kids. We know this, right? They just remake themselves. And I said to him, I, I didn't mean it rudely. I said, sir, at what age did that stop for you? And he went, what? I said, when did that stop for you? And he goes, my God, I don't, I don't know, 22, 23. And that happens to a lot of people. Most people, they really, we, they die at 22 or 23. We just don't get around to burying them until they're old men or women. Mm. And this idea that I just went, I'm never going to do that. The 23 year old, when I turn 24 should be gone forever. There should be a new 24 year old, the 35 year old. When I turn 36, the 35 year old, there should be a new me all the way to and I pursue this, man, like all the way to like death, where I go, I believe, you know, someday I'm going to meet the dude I was destined to be, who I was made to be, the difference I could have made, the places I could have gone, you know, the contributions, the moments, the memories. To me, heaven, when you die, is you meet who you were capable of becoming in your identical twins. That's heaven. Hell is you pass someday and you meet that person and you're complete strangers. You never did any of it. You didn't have the moments, the memories, the contribution, the and I'm serious. You can feel when I say it, like I get fired up about this. So most of my decision-making is like, does this get me to the next me? Does this get me to the ultimate me someday? It's a good barometer of who I hang around, what I think about, what I talk about and what I do. I'm not saying I do it all the time. I'm a human being, but I do it more of the time than not. Oh, I feel it. I hear it and I feel it. And I sense it. I think that, I mean, aside from you are what you eat, I mean, you are what you consume. And we know this, of course, you are what you read, you are what you listen to, you are what you eat. Let me put it to you another way, because you had another incredible post where you asked, quote, are the best chapters of your life in front of you or behind you? End quote. And again, I absolutely love this. Like, like so many people, I did some deep soul searching throughout the pandemic. And I got it in my head, Ed, that I want to ensure that the next 30 years of my life are my best 30 years of my life. And again, I'm obsessed with that. But let's be real for a minute. I'm in my mid-50s. Is it realistic to think that I can still become the best version of myself? Realistic to think I could do the best work of my career? And in fact, that the best 30 are in front of me and not behind me? Is it really realistic? Is that truly feasible? It's probably more likely to be possible than not. And that's because this level of experience you have technology allows us to pivot. Technology allows us to do a few things. One, stay younger than we've ever stayed. In terms of information, access, uh, like you said, nutrition, all these other things. You're looking at this with a lot of the athletes. LeBron James will probably play to 40 years old and probably play at a very high level, barring some significant injury, right? So more and more, that's true. Pivoting in your life and career has never been easier because of access to information. Information now is readily available to all of us, right? So 100% that that's doable, as long as it's something that someone is totally committed to and they're willing to grow. And here's the thing, can you stay hungry? That's the challenge, right? Because it's really, it's easier to get to become a world champion anything than to stay one. And when you've had a little bit of success, a little bit of, you know, winning in your life, can you stay hungry? And if you're losing right now, will you put yourself in positions where you may lose more short term before you win? That's the key. Are you willing to take some hits? Are you willing to take some shots? Are you willing to look silly? Are you willing to be uncomfortable? Because one thing that comes with age that doesn't serve us is we become more and more protectionist. 
we, our life becomes more and more familiar. We hang around the same people. We experience the same emotions on a regular basis. And we have these like emotional homes we live in and we stay in them all the time. Whereas when we're kids, we'll experience, we're curious. We'll, we don't, we're not even thinking about being embarrassed, right? We experience all kinds of new emotions. Curiosity is a huge element in rechanging yourself. That's one of the things about you. And I'm, I don't want to keep going back to you, but you're a very curious person, right? And it's, that's going to allow you to pivot. Plus the fact, I think in a lot of cases, and this includes me too, it's like the, 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 the pool of competition shrinks. When you're young and you're 20, 25, everybody's trying to get after it. Everybody's trying to win. Everybody's got ambition. 30, a few less. 35, life's kicked their ass, right? What do most people do? They're like the high school football dude you talk about all the time, right? They're constantly replaying the old chapters of their life. When you get clear, I'm the author of the book of my life. This is a fact. And at any point, I'm the author. I can start to turn the page and write a new chapter. I can literally step in to become a new character. That's all you're doing. You're playing a character. You know this. There's the real you when you're getting ready in the morning. And then there's this character you play once you walk outside the front door. It's a little bit of a character. We all play them. Okay. So you can choose to be whoever the hell you want at any time you want. Past is not prologue. Your past doesn't equal your future in any way unless you keep repeating the same thoughts, doing the same things, hanging around the same people. So the pool of competition is much smaller as you get older. You have more experience as you get older, more access to information, more technology. But are you willing to lose before you win? Are you willing to get uncomfortable? And are you literally going to take a hold? Like, I'm doing it too. Like, I had that year. I really reflected. It's like, all right, that's the old me. That's my old story. What's the new freaking story? I'm sick of that story. Goggins, when we met, comes to my house, and we had this bond. And the reason was we had this bond is he goes, man, I said, listen, I want to do this interview today. But I said, aren't you freaking sick of telling it? You know his story, right? He goes, yes, brother, right. MF, I'm so effing tired of this story. I said, David, you got to create the new story, man. He goes, I know. I said, that's what I'm focused. I'm tired of telling my old story. It's entertaining to everybody else, but I lived it. I want to flip the page, man. I want to write a new chapter. And that's what really David and I connected. He goes, brother, you're so speaking my language. He goes, I got two alternatives, man. Either I'm going to go away and live on my ranch and hide the rest of my life because I'm sick of this story I'm telling, or I'm going to build a new one. I said, David, you couldn't sit on a ranch and go away forever if your life depended on it. He goes, you're probably right, brother. I said, you're Goggins. You're not David Goggins. Write a new effing chapter, bro. And he's starting to do it. If you watch some of David's stuff, he's going back to the ultra marathon stuff. If you let Goggins right now, I'm going to tell you a secret. I hope he doesn't mind me saying this. If the military would let Goggins back in, he'd go right now. He would go right now to write a new story. I'm telling you, he would go right now. So I'm, I think it's going to happen. I know it's going to happen with you, and I'm committed to it happening with me. Man, that's amazing. It's amazing. And I'm so glad you brought that up, Ed, because I was going to ask you about the book. Like so many folks stop writing their book of their life because they can't stop reading and rereading that one bad chapter. How do you ensure that the one bad chapter does not define the rest of your life and who you are and that you actually continue to write that book? Big time question, brother. So I'm writing about this right now. As a matter of fact, you need to begin to operate in your life. Okay. Stop operating out of your memory and begin to operate out of your imagination. So people operate out of their memory all the time. They replay it. What the, only, the only antidote to that is your imagination. Begin to imagine what's possible. Let your imagination, it sounds corny, but I'm a dreamer. I'm a daydreamer. I'm constantly thinking about things. And that play that I'm having in my mind, that video, those thoughts inoculates me from my memory. But if you don't replace the memory with an imagination, better said, you got to stop operating out of your history and begin to operate out of a vision. 
for your life. And that may sound corny to people, but even the Bible tells without vision, the people will perish, right? Like you are perishing without a vision for your life, right? And you'll have plenty of time when you're an old man to reflect on your memories or an old woman, but you got to let your imagination go. You got to get a vision. You got to get something that captivates you, something that gives you some chills, something that really moves you, something you're afraid of, something that scares you a little bit but that gets you up every day, even if it's a side hustle where you're like, look, I got my job. I don't love my job. But man, if you got imagination, if you got vision for what you want to do, you'll get through that job every day and you can't wait till five o'clock because you get to start chasing your side hustle, your dream, your passion. This is what makes our life have the juice of life. Operating out of memory, even a good memory, man, there's nothing worse. You've had it on your show too. I feel so bad when I talk to a former athlete, it's like, this dude's got to tell Super Bowl eleven story again, right? Like, he doesn't want to tell it. You don't want to hear it. And, and the truth is, I feel bad. But there's the, then there's these other athletes like, yep, I did that. I'm proud of that. I learned some lessons from it. And here's how I'm applying it to my new vision. And you look at these dudes. You can take Brady. Look what he's doing with TV 12. You look LeBron, the great Jay-Z quote. LeBron's like, hey, man. He's a businessman, right? I'm a businessman. He's for real. He's got other interests that he's going to have post his career. That was one of the beautiful things about Kobe Bryant. Kobe, I mean, you can tell he, all right, I'll talk about my career, man, but like I'm more captivated by what I'm creating now. That's one of the things I was most impressed about with Kobe Bryant was Kobe's ability to get a new vision. He did not operate out of memory. He operated out of imagination. And so I think that's the key. He absolutely reinvented himself and you're right he was on to the next thing he kept moving you know when you mentioned you want that one thing to get you up in the morning something practical Ed. you talk about starting every day by doing something that shocks the system like what are examples of that and why is that so critical yeah well you are your rituals and your habits and your disciplines you you have a morning routine you just may not be cognizant of it or you haven't dictated what it is so you do get up like when you get in the shower most all of you you soak particular part of your body before the other one you put shampoo in your hair before the soap or soap before the shampoo you shave before you brush your teeth you brush your teeth before you shave like you got a routine it's just autopilot so for me I got to get up to do something that gets me alert and awake I'm, I was never a morning guy so I had to do something so for me it's doing something cold first thing when I get up I have a routine where I go through a gratitude exercise but in terms of shocking the system I do a cold plunge every day I was doing it way before it was cool and so that's either jumping in the ocean or jumping in a cold shower. It could be two or three minutes, bam, cold. What that does is it alerts my entire nervous system. It sucks at first, you're gonna hate it. But the other thing I'm doing first thing in the morning, something really difficult. And I know I'm sitting there when I'm in the cold shower for two minutes, one, my, my entire nervous system turns on, I'm completely alert and awake, I'm alive. That's the first thing it does. Second thing it does though is I'm like, I'm doing some shit right now no one's willing to do. No one's willing to do this. And if I keep doing things other people aren't willing to do, I'm going to get things other people aren't going to get. And I reiterate that to myself over and over and over again. And then I try to stay off my phone the first 30 minutes, man. If you, It's a hard thing too, but if you check your phone right when you wake up, you've set a context for your day that says you respond to the world. And I don't want to respond to the world. I want to dictate to the world. And so I'll let you know when I get on my phone, which is 30 minutes after I wake up, all these problems that are on there, all these things I got to respond to, they'll be there 30 minutes from now. Almost nothing in my life requires this second for me to respond to it. I take 30 minutes and I start living life on my terms to start my day. So many of you wake up out of bed, you roll over. Before you're out of bed, you grab this thing with all your problems in it, your phone. And you're looking through email and text message. Now you're responding. Before you even got out of bed, you're doing it. And then you think the rest of the day, 
you're somehow going to dominate your day when you're already responding to everybody else's problems and needs. It's not going to happen. So do something shocking. By the way, you can take a cold shower. You can put warm water on afterwards. There's nothing wrong with that. And also there's a little cryotherapy aspect to it that helps your body too, just getting cold for healing and alertness. So I, that's that's part of what I do in the morning. I love that. What I'm hearing is you dictate the situation as opposed to having the situation dictate to you, which leads us to this, Ed. You are the leader of the Max Out Nation. You wrote a tremendous book with the same title. Max Out is a mindset, but it's even more than that. What does it mean then to max out and live the max out life? Uh, to me, it's just getting the most out of something. So if I'm golfing with my son, I want to max out that experience. I want to be totally present with him. I want to listen to him. I want to look him in the eye. You know, I want to, when he's hitting a shot, this may sound corny, but just step back and give myself the gift of how proud I am of him and how wonderful it is to just have that moment with my son. To me, that's maxing out. If I'm in the gym, it's being fully present in the gym and dispensing justice in that place for an hour, not going in there and lollygagging through and checking the box that I got a workout in. I want to destroy that freaking place, Right. And so that to me is maxing out. If it's a call like this, like, hey, man, bring your A game. I may not say all the things I want to say today, but I'm giving it every single thing I have. And when this is over, I'll do that in my nest experience. And one little detail, I'm writing a book about it right now. I've become addicted to one more. I know you had Grover on your show. He's a good buddy of mine. You look at Michael Jordan, he would do this, but I'm addicted to finding one more in everything I do. So like if I'm doing a set of eight in the gym, I do one more, I do nine. If I'm doing 45 minutes on the treadmill, I do 46 minutes. It may sound psycho. If I'm supposed to make 10 contacts in a day, I make 11, right? If I'm trying to find one more in everything I do, if I tell my daughter, I love you, Bella, I'm going to tell her one more time that day. And I built this habit. And there's a thing in your brain called the reticular activating system. It's like the matrix. It's the filter that you see the world through. If you become, become a one more thinker and doer, all of a sudden you'll begin to see the one mores that are out there in opportunities. The separation between winning and losing and everything is so small in life, it's almost too scary to talk about. It's almost the difference between a million dollar a year earner in sales and a hundred thousand dollar a year earner is millimeters. It's almost too small, scary to talk about. The difference between the greatest of all time playing NFL football at quarterback. And the next best guy is millimeters. It's the intangibles. It's finding the one more. It's if it's a Brady, it's one more hour of film study, one more rep in the gym, get to the gym one more hour, get to the facility an hour before, one hour before everybody. So if you become a one more thinker, a one more doer in your life, that's, by the way, it's, what's different about that is one more is a physical doing and a thought. It's one of the only things you'll ever hear in your life that aligns your thoughts and your actions in congruency. And so to me, that's maxing out is finding one freaking more everything that I do and that what becomes an addiction it becomes a way of life and you transform yourself I mean and is that the bottom line is that what separates the true hustlers and achievers from everybody else is that their separation the one it more is. aspect it, yeah yeah because at the at the highest levels and you know this too at the highest levels everybody's good everybody's prepared right everybody's ready to go so the separator and by the way when you stack them and I'm not trying to talk because he just won but when you stack them, it gets freaky. Like Brady didn't just start doing one more. He started 20 years ago. You and I both know the great Rodney Harrison story. I won't get into it, but he'd be the first guy at the facility of the gym. He's walking in. There's this skinny little kid walking into the gym a half hour before him. So Harrison gets there a half hour earlier. Brady's there a half hour earlier, right? Like one more is and you stack them over time. You're, you're a force. Like you're legit when you do that. Yes, that's the separator at the highest of all levels, and then reverse it, Jim. If you want to know the power of one more, reverse it for a second. 
what if I took something really important to you that's, that's been away, it's gone, and I told you you could have one more of them? Like my dad passed a few weeks ago. You know this. Man, what would I give for one more conversation with my dad? Right. Right? What would, what would I give? What would you give if you've had someone pass away for one more meeting? Or maybe you broke up in a relationship. What would you give for one more shot with them? Right? One more, man. When it's the absence of it, you go, now I see the value of it. So if the absence of it is incredibly valuable, imagine the possession of it. And imagine the possession of it over an extended period of time and how that changes you. It doesn't just change you because you made, you know, a hundred more reps in the gym. It's that or a hundred more phone calls in business. You get the benefit of the stacking of the actual activity, but you get the confidence stack where you are keeping promises you make to yourself, which is how you get self-confidence. And you're starting to go, wow, I'm doing things nobody's willing to do. There's going to be some goodies coming my way. Other people aren't going to get. This is how you self-actualize. But, Ed, you've been doing this a long, long time. Tom Brady's been doing this a long, long time. What if somebody listening right now thinks, I love this. However, I have not been doing this. I have never done this. Now I'm into my 40s. Now I'm into my 50s. My life did not play out the way that I thought it would, and now it's too late. Is it, Ed? Is it too late? It's not too late if you quit telling yourself that stupid story. (laughs) Okay, so you got to quit telling yourself that story, man. Like, it, does it feel good to keep telling yourself that? Right. Because there's a whole bunch of people in life that are proving you wrong every single day. I'm just telling you, there's a whole bunch that are doing it, turning around. I meet them all the time. I coach them. Hey, whatever your political beliefs may be one way or the other, I don't care if you're a Trumper or an Obama guy, right? One thing you got to look at former President Obama is like, this is a guy that, you know, if you look at the first 30, 35 years of his life, I mean, yeah, he went to Occidental. He, he was a, a, a scholar at Harvard, but like, this is a dude who around 40 years old, man, hit an accelerator in his life that went pretty damn crazy. And I don't mean to alienate 50% of the people. That's just one example of somebody, right? So there's all kinds of people every single day that are stepping forward, particularly when it comes to business. In business, this stuff doesn't matter anymore. Your age, it is literally a non-factor in business. Now, if you're an employee, it might be. You got to find a way to get control of your time. It is not over. It is not too late. And here's the other thing. Life is not short. Life is long. And when you're living an average, ordinary life, or you're not happy with yourself, that's a long way to go. A long way to go. You got time. Time is on your side, but you got to get after it now. See, life is a marathon, but the winners sprint the whole race. Hmm. So you got to get in the game now. I'm not trying to be hokey or corny. Start. Start. And here's the crazy thing. Elway's a good example. He's now one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. There was a point in his career, and you know this because you've been in the sport, and John's a friend of mine, where people are like, this guy might be one of the greatest losing quarterbacks ever. He What did he lose? Three Super Bowls in a row or something like that, right. right? Like, he kept losing. That was the narrative about him until he stopped losing, until he won. Now he's been to five and won two, and he's in the GOAT conversation. He's in the top five for most people, right? So that's, you be, you be amazed if your future is really bright, everybody kind of forgets about your past right? But if you keep repeating it, then that's the story of who you are. And you were born to do something great with your life, small ways, big ways. There's no human being better than you. And you got plenty of time on your hands, but you have to start. Like stop telling yourself this stupid story. Start a new story. That's your history. That's your memory. Create a new story. Be that character. Fake it for a while. When I say fake it, you're really not faking it. Walk with your shoulders back a little bit. Deepen your voice a little. Talk a little louder. Have some certainty. Remember this. The most certain person always influences the less certain person. My wife's been proving this for 30 years. 
she has been wrong in 97% of our conversations, yet she's won 98% of That's them. That's the best. Right? Because she's more certain than I am she's right. Right? So if you can become certain, you can win. But if you keep going with timidity, with uncertainty, sticking your toe in it, coming back out, well, I'll try it for a while. If it goes okay, now, you got to go all in. Plant your flag. Bow your back. Step into it. Step into it. And by the way, if you need to replay this show to remember that a few times, do it. You got to step in, take some shots, get knocked down. It, but that's why you're where you are. You're where you are because you got knocked down and you laid there too long. You know it and I know it. So get up, get up and start again. And no one will remember you were knocked down once you win. I mean, so much of this, it's so great. It's so powerful. And so much of this, Ed, before I let you go, and I appreciate it so much, so much of that is mindset, right? Mindset is so critical. In your mind, is it possible for us to actually rewire our brains? And if so, how do we do that? Yes, you can. And uh, you've got a, there's a thing called myelin in your brain. And the more you begin to repeat thoughts to yourself, the more you create new, literally hardwiring in your brain, you can, there's, you know, there's neuroplasticity, which is something we could talk about another time where your brain literally wants to change and evolve. So absolutely, you can do that. One of the basic things that you could do for yourself every single day is what I call an emotional flood or a vision flood or a highlight reel. And this may sound complicated, but you've all had some victory in your life, something that was good that you did. And when you begin to just, if you even just close your eyes and flooded yourself with a couple of your past victories, right? Whatever they were, a girl you got on a date or a marriage you had, even if it's over or the birth of a child or a big paycheck you got or an award you received or something. And you just picture that coming at you from a distance and then bring it towards you closer with more and more color. And you can bring them one after the other towards you. This is not a complicated thing. And then what you do in the midst of doing that is then switch into your vision mode. And switch into the vision of what you want in your life. Your unconscious mind is going, oh my God, these are both real events. Not just if you did your vision, but if you go back to something it already knows to be true, even if it's just two or three things. In my case, I'll flood it with 20, 30 great things that have happened in my life. And you can just picture, if you close your eyes, you see the picture of that event and then just bring it closer to you, brighter, 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 and then do another one, brighter, brighter, brighter. And then all of a sudden switch to the new highlight reel, which is what's going to happen in the future your vision for where you're going to go, your vision for that award, your vision for that home, that relationship, that body, that emotion that you want, peace, joy, ecstasy, bliss, passion, whatever it is, your unconscious mind believes they're all one. And when you do that on a regular basis, even if you gave yourself the gift of doing that two, three times a day, because what do you do? And what I do, we flood ourselves with our fears, what we're worried about, our failures. I got to do this. I got to pay that bill. I'm worried about this. And you flood yourself with that and your mind gravitates towards what it's most familiar with. That's what your mind does. Your spirit and your mind will gravitate towards its most familiar place. Your familiar place is your losses, your fears, your anxieties. Give yourself the gift. Just stop two or three times a day. And by the way, last thing I'll say, this may sound complicated. I have triggers that cause me to do it, Jimmy. So like for me, like getting in the shower when the water hits my face, it's a trigger to do this for three minutes. Literally, when I hit the handle on my office door, it triggers it, and I go do it for two or three minutes. And by the way, sometimes it's 12 seconds. When I get in my car and I shut the car door, if I'm alone, I do it for two or three minutes, or at least 30 seconds. So I have moments, I have places that trigger me to do it. And guess what? 
I'm energized. I got a gift of doing it. And my mind is literally changing as I do that repetitiously. So I don't know if that's too complicated, but that's one way. That's amazing. In other words, you are, you have learned to control your mind as opposed to having your mind control you and kind of just running off by itself. So Ed, finally, like you're an animal in the gym. I'm curious, how big of a role this fitness, nutrition, how big of a role do these things play in your success and the life that you have? A lot. And a lot because it's something I can control and you can control. There's so many things in our life we're not in control of, how people respond to us, even the results we produce. I can control if I get my ass in the gym. I can control how much I do when I'm in there. And it's one of the few places in my life I've been able to get a measure of control. It's also a place where there's evidence you can transform yourself. Sometimes in life, you know, the evidence is delayed three, four, five, ten years. As we're doing the work, you just don't see any results. Right. And you begin to doubt, like, does putting in effort ever produce a result? Well, in the gym, it's delayed, but it's not delayed years. So if I'm putting in real work, if I'm eating real clean, I see a result and it indicates to me, oh, nature is still true. If I put in effort, it changes me. The next thing is it gives me more confidence. And let's just be honest. You think you look a little bit better. You feel a little bit stronger. You feel a little bit more dominant. It feels pretty good. But one of the first things I noticed about you is like how fit you are. Like that is lean, right? It's like, a joke, man. Lean, no, Come he's on. a lean man. Like he is, even when you left, like I'm like, be careful, babe. She's like, he is very fit, right? Like my wife said that to me. It's like, it's, and by the way, to me, are y'all blind? Fit, some, no, I'm serious. Someone who's fit, it's an indicator of discipline in their life. It means this person disciplines what they put in their mouth to some extent. I still, you know, still have my alcohol. I'll have a piece of cake once in a while. But it's, and, and the other thing, lastly, is when you move your body regularly, it's impossible to be depressed and down. And so people who don't move their body, don't give themselves that gift. You cannot simultaneously be moving your body and be bummed out and depressed. It's impossible. And in fact, when you're feeling bad, move your body, change your state. When you move your physiology, your mind changes. One is a catalyst for the other. Oftentimes for me, the catalyst to change my mind is to change my body. And that's a big indicator for me. It's like, it's a centerpiece of my life. Like, I cannot even begin to tell you where I would not be if I wasn't moving my body on a regular basis and pursuing some extent, some degree of fitness. So yeah, that is another huge element. Movement is so key. And I cannot tell you how much I value you. I value our friendship. I value our relationship. And I'll say it, man, I love you. I love, I love you. you too, when love you. when is this book coming out? How far along are you with the new book? And when can we expect it? Late summer early fall. Um, and it's a big book. So you know, like 300 page book. So it'll be out. And I'm, I think it'll be some cutting edge stuff. And as long as you know, people are kind of taking a look at my social media or whatever, they'll, they'll know when it's coming out. Well, th this is social media that you have to take a look at and they know where to find you. And if they don't, Ed, what is the best way? Where should they uh, find you? You can use uh, Instagram, Ed Milet. Anywhere like that, edmylet.com. You guys will figure it out if you want to. Can't miss it. Ed, I appreciate it so much. I cannot wait till you and I can get together again. In, in person, physically, we keep talking about it, but it's that pandemic life, but that time will come soon enough. And again, you are the guy who got me over the hump. You are the guy who pushed me to this. I cannot thank you enough for all this time that you spent today. It was absolute gold. I mean, what, what an incredible conversation that was. And I can't thank you enough for making the time, Ed. Thank you, brother. Love you, man. The tournament is finally here. The brackets have been set, and the teams are ready to hit the court and DraftKings. The leader in one-day fantasy is celebrating with their largest free college basketball survivor pool ever. How large? 
one million bucks in total prizes that large. And if that's not enough, check this out. When you enter the free DraftKings $1 million survivor pool, you can get a shot at winning 10000 bucks for every upset through the first two rounds of the tournament. It's easy to play. You just pick one team per day. If they win, you survive and advance to the next round. Last person standing is the winner. Remember, you can only pick a team once for the entire tournament, so choose wisely. DraftKings is a safe and secure app. You can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Make sure to get in on all this week's action. Download the DraftKings app right now. Enter the code ROME, R-O-M-E, during sign-up, and enter the free $1 million survivor pool. Again, code name ROME, R-O-M-E, to enter into DraftKings' free $1 million survivor pool. Eligibility restrictions and terms and conditions do apply. See DraftKings.com for details. All right, now that's how you show up and how you show out. I'm not sure that I've ever had a conversation of that length of any show I've hosted, sports or otherwise, where literally everything the person I was speaking with resonated with me. I mean, I've got thoughts on literally every single thing that Ed Milet just said. Of course, you don't need that and time won't allow for that, but let me share a few things that resonated with me the most. First, I love this notion that life is happening for you and not to you. In other words, it's all a matter of mindset. You can choose how you're going to react in any situation, no matter how bad you think it is. Believe me, it took me a while to figure this out. I still fight that. But we all need to ditch the victim's mentality. And this notion that something is happening to us is just that. The mentality of a victim. So you take whatever it is that you think happened to you and you flip it on its head. You change the way you see it and you think about it and you process it. And then you figure out how can I convert that into fuel? How can I use that? How is that something that actually happened for me and not to me? I'll give you an example. Take the pandemic. One of the worst things ever. And that's how I saw that. And I let it beat me down for quite some time, actually. And then I decided, first of all, that didn't happen to me. It happened to everybody. And then rather than spiral over something I can't control, I'm going to focus on what I can control, namely my attitude, my actions, my energy, and I'm going to use this time to improve mentally and physically, and I'm going to come out of this better than I went in. And the fact is, I did. In other words, I turned it on its head, I ditched the victim's mentality, and I turned that kick in the junk into an opportunity, a positive. In other words, life is happening for you, not to you. Don't be a victim. Also, obviously, I wanted to get Ed's thoughts on reinvention, obviously, and I loved what he had to say about that. I mean, that story about his daughter talking smack to him and saying, what's up with you anyway, dad? The beard, the selfies, the gram. I mean, dad, what is this, a midlife crisis? And Ed's response I thought was great. Yes, that's exactly what this is. It's a midlife crisis. In fact, it's a life crisis, an annual crisis, a monthly crisis, a daily crisis, a crisis to get to the next level. And this is the way you reinvent yourself, right? By doing so continuously, not just when you hit 40 or when you hit 50. It's a process of renewal, of change, of growth. And his point that because of all the technology and information available today, it's never been easier. All you have to do is commit to it. 
and then take big swings and get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And most of all, these are my words, not his. Don't bullshit yourself. Like, I don't know about you. I know I can do better. I know I can go harder. I know I can be smarter with the way I go about this. So this is what I'm personally going to do. And you tell me how you feel about it. I'm going to treat it this way going forward. If this process of renewal and reinvention is continuous, I'm going to end every single day by looking in the mirror and asking myself honestly now, what did you do to reinvent yourself today? What did you do to shock yourself or shock your system today? What did you do to make yourself uncomfortable today? And if I can't answer those questions, then it's a wasted day. And I don't know about you, but I'm not in position to waste any days going forward. No days off. I'm on the clock in life. I also thought that story that Ed shared about his sit down with David Goggins was gold. First, because of how I feel about Goggins. Like you heard Ed say it, he adores the former Navy SEAL and Army Ranger. Goggins himself would be the first to tell you he's not for everybody. But I'm here to tell you Goggins is one of my favorite people on the planet. Like, he might be the toughest human being on the planet. And he's got one of the most compelling stories I have ever heard. He's the author of one of the best books I've ever read. I cannot get enough of this guy. But he confided in Ed, apparently, sure, we all love his story, but he's sick of it. He wants to write another story. He doesn't want to live in the past. I mean, seriously, how many of us are like that? How many of us have had an element of success... And maybe people identify us with that and they think it's cool, but deep down, we know better. Deep down, we're concerned that maybe that's as good as it gets. Maybe that's the peak. That's a rough admission, right? Like, I'll give you an example. I remember back in the day when my guy Kyle Brandt worked with me on my radio program. And we'd go out sometimes and people would stop him when we were out and would say, Dude, yo, I remember you from MTV, The Real World. And KB would kind of smirk and say, yeah, yo, man, 10 years ago. And then the guy would walk off and I'd be like, bro, I'm take it easy. Like, that's a compliment. And Kyle would look at me and just say, dude, 10 bleeping years ago, because he knew he wanted more. He knew that he didn't want to be known for just that. And by the way, KB is killing it right now. Like when that happened, I didn't really get it, but I do now. And I'm going to own this. I admit to having some of that myself. People still come up to me to this day and they say, dude, I loved Jim Roma's burning. And part of me wants to say, yeah, 10 fucking years ago. I'm busting my ass here. I'm banging away still yet. I'm trying to create something new, something great. So my takeaway from this, and that story about David Goggins, yes, we all need to create new stories, new memories, add to our personal legacies. Goggins, Ed Milet, KB, you, me, all of us, that's why we're here. And the best of the best are always looking for the next mountain, the next thing. And I loved Ed's take about the most certain person always influences the less certain person that you, quote, need to plant your flag, bow your back, and step the bleep into it all day, every day, all in, no days off. Like, if that sounds cheesy to you, you probably just don't want to do it. The people I know 
who are killing the game aren't the smartest. They're not the most talented. They're not the biggest. They're not the strongest, but they are the most relentless. They are the most consistent. They're the grinders. They're the warriors. We all know who will battle no matter what they're up against. We all know who will never back down, just as we all know who the first will be to shut down when buttholes start to pucker. Ed's right. Plant your flag bow your back, and step the F into it. And finally, I loved Ed's take on fitness and nutrition. Like, I'm working on that right now. I'm working on what I eat. I'm trying to eat cleaner. I need to improve in that area. I know this. I mean, you really are what you eat, right? It's weird. When I eat crap, I feel like crap. And when I eat clean, I think and I feel much sharper. It's funny how that works. And I really appreciate Ed's take that if you want to change your mental state, change your physical state. That you can't be bummed if you're moving. That it's not possible to be depressed if you're moving. I thought that was gold. In fact, the entire 45 minutes were gold. My man is brilliant. I got so much out of that conversation. I hope you all did as well. And I do want to reiterate how pleased I am to have met Ed Milet and to call him a friend. I couldn't appreciate nor respect the man any more than I do, nor the fact that he took as much time away from that maniacal schedule as he did to drop that knowledge that he just did for that podcast. I know for a fact I'll go back and I'll listen to that over and over again, and I'll pick up something new every time I do. I hope you do as well. Also, I can't say how much I appreciate you listening. Remember, every Thursday, I'm going to push out a new episode with another peak performer. They'll share their process, what makes them tick, and their thoughts on reinvention. And then I'll share my thoughts on what resonates the most with me. So make sure you're subscribed and working this podcast into your listening routine. And if you could take a moment and review it, that would be amazing as well. Have a tremendous week, and I will catch you right back here next time. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.